0: Good morning, Ambassador. Good to see you. Welcome to the last day of the year, or the last Sunday of the year. In fact, last Sunday of the decade. Isn't that incredible? Remember, it was just like 20 years ago we thought the world was going to end. You know, all that Y2K, but, you know, here's where we're at right now. It's a time of the year for you to make your New Year's resolutions. Have you made yours yet? You kind of figured out what you want to do, and in uh, the new year, it's funny that yesterday I got a text from uh, one of you, saying, "Hey, wh- where, you know, do you have the information on who you used for your your trust, your family trust?" And uh, I said, "Yeah, here it is. Um, are you doing this for New Year's resolution?" And they said, "Yeah, it should be very doable." And I had to laugh because, like. Three or four years ago, we had this as our New Year's resolution to build our, our family trust, and it took like all year, like right like in the fall finally, just before winter, we finally did it. So it was on my list all year long, was finally able to check it off. We did it, but we never got it signed, right? And so it was like another like almost two years of just having this document, but it's not signed. It didn't do anything. So I think it was last year for our New Year's resolution, we're like, we're signing this thing. And so for those of you who are, you know, think, yeah, it's very doable. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. I'll ask you next year where you're at with this. Last year, my New Year's resolution was to learn how to shave with a straight edge with those razor blades, you know, that are long like grandpa had. Yeah, my wife, like in the middle of January was like, you got to give this up because you look like Rocky Balboa. Like, it was bad. I continued for like another month. I just wanted to see if I could do it, and I finally gave up. So now I'm back to a normal razor. But you know, it's the fun time to try some new things. And uh, those things that are on your list that you know you have to do, maybe they're important, but they're not urgent. This is the time. If you don't have any, my, uh, my desire is by the end of this sermon that you'll have something to shoot for, and uh, that will be all about walking in faith. We have, we're closing out this Advent series this whole month. We've been looking at different words of Advent, right? So we started with hope, and then joy, and love, and peace. And all of those words are important as we look at what Christmas means. And so I hope that those words meant something to you, that when Christmas came this last week that it, it provided some insight into what God has done. But now we want to finish it up with the word faith, the faith of Christmas. It's a word that's used in our normal culture. We use it in church, but we normal court, culture uses it as well, right? It, If you, you might be, you know, walking around and you hear somebody say something like, I have faith that 2020 will be a better year than 2019. Or I have faith that my kids will get in the college of their dreams. We say things like this. But it's important for us as when we're talking about this from the Christian perspective, that it's a little deeper than just trust and belief, What's really important that I don't think culture understands when they use this word is who you are putting your faith in, right? In normal culture, they just say, you know, I have faith that this next year will be better than the last. Well, faith in who? In what? In fate or something like that? Or I have faith that my kids will get into the college of their dreams. Faith in what? That in their GPA and their extracurricular activities, What's your faith in? When we use this word as Christians, we, we mean something a little deeper than just we, we believe and we have, we trust, that we put our foundation in God, that he's the one that will see these things through. Hebrews 11 is a passage that talks about faith, and it starts out with this. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance for what we do not see. Well, just right off the bat, you look at that, it just looks like, well, it's confidence and assurance. Confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. Right there, it seems no different than the world. But as you continue and as you see this throughout Scripture, you see it's very clearly That there's this foundation built upon God. When Jesus teaches his disciples, he says, put your faith in God, not in anything else. When Paul talks about it in his epistles, he says, put your faith in the Son of God. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. That is where your confidence and your assurance lies And so as Christians, when we just talk about faith, we are talking more than just a simple hope and trust and belief, but that we put our belief in the foundation of Christ. John Piper, when he's writing about faith, he adds a little nuance to it as well. He says, yes, it's all of those things, but it's also finding satisfaction in Christ satisfaction in knowing that God not only has you and is going to take care of you, but He has your best interests. He wants to shower His love upon you. And on that, you can walk forward in faith with a satisfactory life, enjoying what God has done. Today, we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 2, a little bit more of this nativity story. And in Matthew chapter 2, you're going to see, we'll we'll talk about the Magi and their whole story. You're going to hear about King Herod, and we're going to hear about Joseph. Each one of these adds something to the story of faith. For two of them, it shows us what the faithful look like, but one of them shows us what the faithless looks like. Today we're going to compare those two things and we're going to look at both of those. We're going to ask, are you of the faithful or are you of the faithless? And then what are you going to do about it? That is our goal today. So join me as I read from Matthew chapter 2. It's a long chapter. It's longer than I I normally would read, but it's important just to get this whole story. I won't read the whole entire chapter, but just the first 18 verses. So Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written, So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so it was fulfilled that the Lord had said to the prophet, out of Egypt, I call my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said to the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. It's a familiar story for many of us, but it's a tragic story. This child who was born was not just or, any ordinary child. This child who was born really demands a response from each person, a response on how you will respond to him. Will you respond with faith or will you not respond? Will you have no faith to put in him? Only you can choose, and this is up for you to decide today. So as we go through this sermon, there's really just two parts to it, the response of the faithful and the response of the faithless. Let's start with the faithful here, the magi. The magi were the faithful ones. These were men who were not from the area. They were out of town. They were Gentiles. They had seen a star at some point. We don't know all the details of when that was. Was that two years before or was that when Christ was born? We don't know all those details. They're not given to us. But they saw the star and they, they were intrigued by it. And somehow that led them to the Jewish scriptures. And then that led them to this birth of Jesus, the King of Israel. And they were not going to be left out of the party They packed their things and they made this long journey. How many were them? Uh, Were there? I mean, we say there were three—three kings or wise men—but those are just from the songs. We don't know. There might have been more. We know there was three gifts. They probably weren't kings or wise men. They were probably, uh, you know, men who looked up at the stars and they were looking at the skies. And they saw this, and they had to respond, and so they traveled. They traveled with no assurance that they would see the king, just with the hope. And so they showed up at the most predictable place. Like, where would a king be born? Be born in the capital city, and most likely in the palace. And so they show up in Jerusalem, and they go to the palace saying, Where is this king? We want to worship him. And that really throws the whole nation into quite some confusion. And Herod, the King Herod, hears this, and he is disturbed, right? And when the king is disturbed, the whole city is disturbed. We'll get more into this in just a few minutes when we get to uh, the part of Herod. But eventually, they find their way to the most unpredictable place. They find themselves in Bethlehem, a little small town out of the way, but it's that's where they see the star. And I want us to see some things about the faithful. I want us to see the emotion of the faithful. I want us to see the heart of the faithful, but also the service of the faithful. We'll look at all three of those things. First, in, chap, in, in verse 10, we see the emotion of the faithful is joy. It says, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Their response was joy, overjoyed. One commentator says it's probably a little bit, you know, extreme to say they were deliriously happy, but that's the idea. They were thrilled when they saw this. Because remember, they left with no guarantee, just a star and going in that direction, just going west. So when that star came out and led them to Bethlehem and showed them where this baby king was born they were thrilled with joy. And when I think about Christmas all the emotions and all the words that we do use joy stands out there at the top, right? We see that everywhere. We hear it in the songs. Joy to the world. Not even happiness to the world for the Lord is come, but joy. Joy shows, it really captures the emotion and the heart for all believers. And so what is the first emotion we see in the faithful? We see joy that captures our heart. But the second thing is the heart of the faithful is worship. In verse 11, it says, come into the house, they saw the child and his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. With joy, they began to worship. They worshiped this baby. Now, we've heard this. We've seen it in the nativity. But I want us to stop for a minute and put yourself in Mary's shoes or Joseph's shoes. This was incredibly awkward. I'd imagine this was incredibly awkward for them to have these foreign dignitaries come and worship their son. Did you know that even the shepherds, when they came, they didn't worship Jesus? It says that they came, they reported everything to Mary. She was thrilled, you know, pondered these things in her heart. But then they left, and they left glorifying God, right? But here are these people from Babylon come, and they came and they worshiped Jesus right then and there. For any good Jew, this would make them uncomfortable, because they've known their whole entire lives, like from the Ten Commandments, do not worship anyone or anything else, only God alone. And yes, Jesus is God, but this is something that they were still putting together. They're still trying to figure out. I went back and looked at what Mary knew and what Joseph knew up till this point in the story, from what they'd heard from the shepherds and what they've heard from the angels and all that. And here's what they knew. That he will be the son of the most high. God will give him the throne of David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. That he is the holy one, the son of God. He'll save his people from their sins. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He's the long-awaited Messiah that Israel and the other prophets spoke of. So they, they knew this. They knew he was the son of God. But I'm sure having these Magi coming down and worshiping him in front of them had to be a, an awkward experience for them. True, but awkward. And it's, it's, I find it amusing just knowing Matthew who wrote, you know, there's four gospels. His is, it was written to the Jews. It's the most Jewish one, but right out of the gate here in chapter 2. He introduces these magi who come and do what the shepherds didn't do, but they came to worship. Worship this baby. Worship this king. The faithful are men and women who are filled with joy, but we are also men and women who are worshipers. That is what we do. These are one of the things that define us. We worship publicly like this. We come, we gather weekly to worship together. We worship in places like our small group. We worship with our friends. We worship privately. We worship in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening. We worship with music. We worship by reading the scriptures. We worship through prayer. We worship through sharing our faith and evangelism. This is what worshipers do. This is who we are. This is our heart. The emotions of the faithful is joy. The heart of the faithful is worship. But look at the next thing that they do. The service of the faithful. What's the service of the faithful? is giving gifts giving humble gifts and sacrificing In verse 11 it says that continues that they opened their treasures and they presented him with gifts of gold frankincense and myrrh for the magi they sacrificed by giving these elaborate gifts of gold frankincense and myrrh throughout uh, time many people have commented on what these gifts mean They've said things like, well, gold is what you give to a king, and frankincense is what you give to a deity, to a god, and myrrh is what you give to kind of show them what their life, that it will be full of suffering and death, and whether that's true or not, I don't know. Matthew doesn't tell. Matthew doesn't say this is what these gifts mean. But here's what we know, that the Magi gave gifts that they would give to a king, it's from Babylon, if that's where they're from, these are the gifts that they would give to a Babylonian king, and this is what they gave to Jesus. They gave sacrificially. And so, what is it that we give? What does God want? What can we give him? If we flip through the Old Testament, we see real specifically what we would do for worship and what they were to bring and what they were to sacrifice. But when you come to the New Testament, you look and it doesn't, doesn't give a lot of um, specific ideas. I mean, do we follow what the Magi do and do, you know, every, every week we bring an ounce of gold and we bring a bottle of, of oil and a $100 bill? Is that what we're to give? Is that what the New Testament says? Well, when we look at it, it's real vague. It just says, give cheerfully, give generously. But more than any of that, it says this is what God wants. He wants a humble heart. He wants worshipers. He says, I want you to worship me in spirit and in truth. So more important than What we give is the heart that we give it. And this is the whole, you know, order of operations. My daughter's in in seventh grade, and I was kind of looking at some of the stuff they're doing, and one of the things that they're talking about is the order of operations, that, you know, in math, there's a, a certain order you have to do it. And we do this all through life. How many of you are wearing shoes and socks today? How many of you put on your socks first, and then you put on your shoe on top of that? Or did anybody put on their shoe and then slap their sock on top of that? You would look ridiculous. I don't think anybody did that. There's a certain order that goes first. For those of you who made your bed uh, today, good job. Uh, did you get out of bed first and then make it? You probably did. I remember when I was younger and trying to be lazy, I would like, pull it up real tight and then like, slide out and then you know, try to make it, make it easier that way. But there's an order. And here is the same thing. We see the same thing, the same order. Before we give the gift, we worship. God wants the heart first and then to give out of that. But so many people get it wrong. They just say, well, I'm just going to give and then I'll worship. But The problem is they give and they give and they give and then they get grumpy that God hasn't given back to them or he's just asking for money that's all he wants is my money 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 he doesn't want your money he wants your heart so instead we are to give him our heart we are to be worshipers and then out of a heart that's full of joy that has understood what he has given the sacrifice that he has made the eternal sacrifice that he's given us then we give joyfully and just give out of your heart each one of you will give something different but the faithful people that are people that are full with the emotion of joy that worship and that give and give back, give to him. This is what he desires. This is what the faithful are to do. We see all that through the Magi, but there's one more person in here that shows us what faith looks like, and that's Joseph. And don't pass by this too quickly. Again, we've heard the story. We know what happens. He gets a dream. He says, get out of here, go to Egypt. So he gets up and he goes to Egypt. But think about that. How much faith that really takes. He was woken up in the middle of the night saying, get out of here, get your family and go to Egypt. So he wakes up Mary, maybe a little reluctantly. Mary, Mary, wake up. We gotta get up. Why do we have to get up? We gotta go. Where are we going? We're going to Egypt. What? <laughs> like, what now? Yeah, we gotta go now. So get the baby. I don't, nobody wants to wake up a sleeping baby. Nobody does. But then to pack up all your things and make sure to get the gold frankincense and myrrh, we're taking that with. We don't know when we're coming back. Like, is this gonna be just like a quick vacation or a long time? We don't know. They didn't tell me. Who told you? Angel, just get your things. We got to go. I could imagine he or Mary was thinking, well, why Egypt? Why, the wise men, the, the magi, they got camels. They're going to Babylon. Let's just go with them. We can put all our stuff on their camels. It's, that's a win-win. It's good. It's easy. But God didn't say go to Babylon. He said go to Egypt and we just see Joseph being a man of faith getting up obeying and going and it sounds easy but obedience is tough but this is what the faithful do we respond we respond in obedience and when God calls us we go and he's merciful he understands i mean this was this was pretty sudden this was drastic I'm sure if we got that same dream, get up and go because someone's trying to kill your family, you'll probably go too. But so many times we hear God calling and we see him urging and telling us to move and we just, we're so slow in our obedience. But The faithful are quick to respond. We're quick to respond to God's call. And just as Joseph didn't hesitate, may we be people that don't hesitate either when we 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 hear him calling let's be men and women who are obedient to him so what does a faithful look like we're filled with joy we worship we sacrifice and we obey that's what we're called to do that is the heart and the response of the faithful but let's counter that now with the response of the faithless In this whole nativity story from Matthew 2 and Luke 2 and all all in between, we see many, many great examples of faith, but we see one glaring example of faithlessness, and that is through Herod himself. He's the one person who personifies evil, rebellion, and disobedience. He stands out against all these great examples but I, I'm afraid he's not too unlike so many people today. Who is Herod? He is Herod the Great. He is not Jewish, but he was put in charge by Rome over this area to be the king of the Jews. And he was. He came into, into Jerusalem and he took charge and he made a lot of great differences. He built up the city and he built around it, and he built some fortifications. He was looking at the city, and it looked so good and so clean and so modern, except for the temple. The temple needed some work. Remember it was built by Solomon and it was glorious. But then it was destroyed. Then Ezra and Nehemiah and those guys, they built it back up, but it still was just kind of old and tired-looking. And so Herod said, "We're fixing this thing. We're fixing this temple." And so he spent 60 years, I mean, he died way before that, but for 60 years, this temple was being rebuilt. It was finally done, it stood for eight years, and then it was destroyed in AD 70. But this was one of his crowning achievements, to bring this glory back into this temple, which he did. He also established this new um, religious uh, kind of authority, which was the chief priest's if you read the Old Testament, we don't see chief priests. When you read the New Testament, when you get to Jesus and his, new, you know, and his life, we see all the story about the chief priests. Well, that came from Herod the Great. He said, if I am going to control these people, if I'm going to rule over them, I've got to understand the religion. And so he created this whole class of chief priests that would be very instrumental and important that he would have really close access to. And so he did a lot of great things, but he was not a good person. Like I said, he called himself King of the Jews, so you could imagine his surprise or the whole irony when the Magi show up and say, we're looking for the the baby born King of the Jews. And he's kind of like, I am King of the Jews. No baby, (laughs) but I'm King of the Jews. they're like, no, 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 that's not what we're, we're not looking for you. We're looking for the new baby that's born. And the text tells us how disturbed he was about this. And when he's disturbed, the whole city's disturbed. And so what does he do? He calls his chief priests, the teachers of the law. He brings them in and says, okay, is this news to you? (laughs) Like, this is news to me. I didn't know there was this baby born who's king of the Jew. But what does the Old Testament tell us? Where is this baby going to be born? And it doesn't seem like they even had to study. It didn't even seem like they were, this was a hard question. It was kind of the softball lob, like Bethlehem, no duh. I mean, that's what Micah said, that it would be born in Bethlehem. That's what we're waiting for. So he leaves them, and he calls the Magi. And, and Matthew tells us specifically that he went in secret. Why did he go in secret? Well, I think the chief priest probably knew that he was not a worshiper of God. He came to the Magi and said, hey, just can you tell me a couple things? Like, when exactly did this star appear? I'm just curious. You know, I'd like to know. They said about two years ago. They gave him the date. And then he said, okay, now here's what you're going to do. I want you to go find that baby. Go find that baby and, and immediately report to me so that I can worship them. I think he was probably a good actor because I think they believed him. They were like, great, we'll do it. We'll go find him. I'm going to report back. They went back to Bethlehem. It's not that far of a journey. They went. They found the child. They worshiped him. And That night, the angel, this angel was busy. That night, the angel says, get up and go and don't go back to Jerusalem. Don't go back to Herod. Go home on another route. And he told Joseph, get up and go as well. So come morning, Herod is wondering, where did these guys go? Bethlehem is not that big of a city. They should have been here by now. He sends reports out, reports come back, saying that they've gone. They took off. And in his anger, he goes to find this baby, but not to worship. Instead, he goes to destroy He goes to kill this baby and any baby that might look like it. Any baby that's two years old or under. Any boy. Not only in Jerusalem but in that vicinity. Scholars tell us kind of given the size and all that it could have been about 20 kids. 20 boys that were killed because he thought he could fight against God. He thought That he could fight against God and win. That he could kill the Messiah. I wonder how he spent the next two years of his life before he died. If he really thought that he had won. Or if he had this ache that he could not beat God. I think if he were with us today, he would tell you that. He would say, yeah, I was fighting against God. I think he'd say that I was trying to save my throne instead of saving my life, instead of saving my soul. And that is what I think a lot of people are doing today. Maybe, you know, people outside of the church, but even inside the church. People that are still trying to save their own throne, their own kingdom, rather than give it up to the king and worship They know Jesus. They like Jesus. They gave him a thumbs up. Someday I'm gonna worship him, worship him. Someday I'm gonna get you know, give my life to them. But for whatever reason, it hasn't happened. They haven't done it. Because they don't wanna give up their throne. They don't wanna give up their life. They think that what Jesus is gonna call them to won't be any fun that you're going to have to sacrifice and give up their time and their money and their Sunday mornings and all of that. And so they put it off. And they live without faith. Charles Spurgeon tells a story. It's a very simple story, but it drives home this point. said years well this was obviously years ago in the 19th century there was a lady in his church in England who was struggling very poor and struggling to get along and so one day he took some money kind of like from our servant fund that we have that you give to to help people in need he took some money from that and he went to her house and he knocked on her door and nobody answered he knocked again Nobody answered and he waited a few minutes and nobody came and so he just figured she was out and he went, went home and on Sunday he saw her and he told her, he said, hey, I went to your house Thursday around noon but you weren't there, you didn't answer and she looked at him embarrassed saying, oh, I was home and I heard you knocking but I thought it was the man that was here to collect my rent, I didn't have it and so I didn't answer. And Spurgeon tells a story of how many people are out there. They hear Jesus knocking, but they think that it's Jesus trying to collect from them, collect from them their money, collect from them things that they don't want to part with or that they don't have. But instead, it's Jesus standing there with everything they need to pay their bills, everything they need. He's there with gifts, but they don't answer the door. I hope that if Jesus is knocking at your heart, that you will see him for who he is, not as a bill collector, but as someone who has given you everything you need to enter into eternal life, give you everything you need to flee from the, the kingdom of darkness and enter the kingdom of light. If you hear his knock. I ask and I urge and plead on the last Sunday of 2019 to respond and to meet this Jesus with faith. To see what he has and to see what he has to give you and enter into joy and enter into worship and give sacrifice, sacrificially and live obediently. And I pray that... And I I trust, I have faith. And if you do that, you will find this new life that you've never known. An exciting life that this world cannot give, that only Christ can give to you. And He's asking you to respond today. So, what is your response to Jesus? What is your response to this baby, to this king? Will you respond? as one of the faithful or one of the faithless. Do not try to save your own throne to lose your life. But let Christ enter your life. Let him sit on your throne and let him give you a new life. A life that you have never imagined. Open up the door to receive him today. For those of you who have received Jesus, you've been walking in faith. Maybe you're sitting there saying, hey, I want to see God do something. I want to see God use me. Well, I encourage you, maybe your New Year's resolution is this. To follow the Magi and follow what we saw with with Joseph. To say that I'm going to commit this year to having a life of joy And do whatever I can to find joy in everything. I'm going to become a worshiper. I'm going to be generous as I give back. And I'm going to be an obedient person. Obedience to the Lord. I think if you were to do that, you will see so much growth this year. You'll see God take you into new places and do great things. I'd imagine what would happen if all of us wanted to live that life. If we chose those things and held on to that this year. What God would do here in this church and in this community. He's calling for people of faith to step out, to follow him, and to follow him into an exciting life. That's my hope, my prayer for 2020 for all of you.